Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Holiday, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are somewhere in the 40s, that means we're 40 something days away from 2020. And as we enter into this next video, I just want to remind you of what we're doing. We are saying that for these last 40 days of the year or so, we are going to set those days apart and try to make them holy during a holiday season that is usually anything but holy. We are choosing to say, I want to focus on the holiness of God and I want to allow him to make me holy. You know, the Bible says we are being made holy through these small acts of obedience that we are gifting to him during this season. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's sort of my rallying cry. I don't know if it's going to be on my tombstone or not, but I just think that, beaut that, that obedience is a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, it gets a bad rap in our society. Of course, it's not that popular to be obedient to anything. But I think even in the kingdom, sometimes I, it can get this sort of feel that if you're, you know, striving to be obedient, that somehow it's a legalistic thing or it's a, um, you know, trying to earn your way into heaven. Or And I just don't think it has to be that way. I think that we can choose to be obedient just because we want to fall in love with God more. And we want to trust him more. Obedience shows that we trust God, and the only thing I can liken it to is the relationship that you have with your kids, and when they obey you, even though they can't see why, even though they're too young, they haven't been around the block, you know, they don't know, uh, they don't have as many years as you do, they don't have the experience you do, but when they trust you and they obey anyway, it's just such a, it's such a, a relief to your soul, and it just makes you feel so close to them. And I think that that's what we're going for here is through our obedience, we're striving to become closer to God. You know, it makes, um, obedience makes our life here better. Every every little command is actually meant for, um, it's, it's meant as a blessing. And so as we obey God more, our life here on the planet um, gets better and our relationship with God gets closer. So that's what we're going for. But today we're going to go back uh, into the Psalms of Ascent, which I'm excited about. We're on Psalm 122. And so I just want to start off by reading it here. Now today I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and that's just because the translation seems to be closer um, to the Hebrew. So let's start reading Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Okay, let's go back through this a little bit. Now, when we started the Psalms of Ascent, we started with 120. It's called the Me Psalm. It's I, um, I cried out to God, I confessed my sins, and he answered me. Psalm 121 is about you. God will protect you on this journey wherever you go. And Psalm 122 is the we psalm, and it's about our collective identity in Christ. We have our primary identity in Christ, but we have a also a secondary identity, which is our collective identity as, as Jesus' body or as the family of God, the Israelite nation. This is a very Eastern concept versus a, it's sort of an anti-Western concept. We don't like to be thought of in that way. We like to be very individualistic, my personal relationship with God, me, my house, my stuff, my whatever. 
but this is a very collective feeling and it's when we as a family have to take responsibility for something you know we don't really like that because we sometimes we want to take care of responsibility for our very our own things much less our other people's but there's times where a family needs to come to God together to repent or a an entire congregation or a community or whatever and this is the community psalm um, and he starts off by saying, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And this is this very exciting word rejoiced. And that's why I wanted to use this because this is very, very different than I think just being glad. Rejoicing means I'm talking about it. I'm excited. I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, something about this was making David excited that this was going to be different than just their regular worship, the times that they normally have set aside, just being with his family. But this is where everybody's going to come together and we're all going to worship God together. I'm excited about that. And I feel like this speaks to the very heart of God because God is a God of enjoyment and excitement. I mean, when he created the earth after every single day, he said, in this is good. You know, it is good. And when we got to um, the Sabbath, he basically was saying, oh my, join me. And, you know, he, he created man. And the next thing he did was have him rest. He had him enjoy the creation. God is about what's good. Sometimes we start the story at the fall, you know, where we're bad, God, you know, we're bad and, and we need God to be better, you know, and it's true. Okay. We did, there is fall, there is sin, but we before that we were good. Before that, it is good. And this opportunity to come together is a chance to be excited about that, to rejoice, to enjoy what God has created in his collective body and being a part of his family. Join me in celebrating is what you can picture God saying. Um, and this is, I feel like, how we have to come into our collective times of worship together. You know, we have these throughout the year. But, you know, every week we have a collective time of worship together where we can come in excited. We be excited to serve, to pray, to sing, to give our money, excited to talk and glean and hear and be challenged and convicted, to change, to meet somebody new, to set up, to tear down to watch the kids play, to teach, to fellowship, to catch up, to rock babies, to have lunch, to reach out. These are all things that happen when we come together collectively to worship God. And this is the excitement of it. But even as I'm saying this, I can hear your mind saying, but you don't understand, but you don't understand. My church has gossip and slander and bad leadership bad music and lukewarm sermons and division and a rotten children's program, <laughs> questionable youth ministry, reluctant leaders, reluctant servants, strained relationships, broken down discipleship or fellowship or whatever it is, just feel, fill in the blank. And what I have to say to you right now is actually I do understand. I hear you. I understand. I think it can get even worse than that, <laughs> by the way. This happens and I think that this is why this psalm is right here. It's aptly placed. Because we need this time during the year, these big pilgrimages were a time to go, wait a second. This stuff has crept in. You know, this, sometimes we just get to the point where like, I don't want to go because all those problems that I just listed, I can walk into a service and see all the problems. I can feel them before I even get there. I have unrest. I have things between me and other people. I have, I have irritation with how things are going. I'm, I'm not pleased with this or my heart feels disconnected with that. Whatever it is, these things creep into our life throughout the year. 
But this is the time of year where we need to reset. We need to look at this and go, if this is what's happened to me, okay, what's happened to me? How am I feeling walking in to the collective worship? Was I excited to go? I bet there's people that stay home that don't even go on the pilgrimage. What, what is keeping them from doing that? What is in your heart right now that's keeping you from that, keeping you from feeling excited about getting together and doing all these things? I think the important thing to do is to realize that um, whenever those things, that, that the complications of gathering times, you know, when they become, when, like those, those complications become swollen or irritable, it's time to take a step back and remember and get a different perspective. I think it starts with remembering that this call to Jerusalem for us, for them it was a physical call. They're going to go up to Jerusalem, the city of peace, by the way. But we, it's figurative for us, and it actually is written to that end because in the next sentence it says, Jerusalem is a city, is like a city that is closely compacted together. All the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, and then it, re, and the, it goes on. But I was listening to a scholar, he was talking about that little um, word like, and he, he, he's saying that that does mean that God was referencing the future Jerusalem, which is us. We are the future. This was a physical representation of our spiritual lives today. Don't forget that we are the new Jerusalem. We are the new temple, as a matter of fact. The temple was built first by Solomon, the second, and then it got built, it got torn down because of, you know, um, idolatry. The second temple was built, it got torn down. We are the third temple. Christ lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you remember in 2 Peter, um, verse, let's see, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 2, um, in verse 4, it says, uh, As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus' living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones. We are being built together to create the new temple. We are the new temple. Um, another way of saying it, if you turn over to Ephesians, remember in Ephesians it says that <coughs> we are no longer foreigners or aliens. Consequently, you're no longer, I'll tell you, it's in 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are bricks. We are stones. We are living stones that are being built together. And this is where God lives now. So it's important for us to remember that this is the bigger picture. This is the bigger perspective. We're not talking about a, a Sunday morning service. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We are closely compacted is what it says. These stones that are being built together, they are close together. Um, and we need to find ourselves, when we, when we find ourselves in discrepancy, with our fellow believers and community, we need to see it as a time that God's trying to build these stones closer together. So um, 
when we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem, you know how it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is a very um, common thing for people to talk about today. But I think what comes to mind often is we're praying for the, you know, to Israel, for Israel to get along with Pakistan and for us to clear up all that Middle East business. No, it's not talking about the physical kingdom. It's talking about praying for the peace of the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. We are praying for the peace of our own fellowship. That's what we're praying for. And so when we get to this time of year and we see right here, you know what, I need to get my heart right. Before 2020, I need to get my heart right. If those, if it's become uncomfortable to worship together on Sundays or you feel like there's something weird or there's something different, I'm sure that there is. It's not something to point out. It's something to point in. Look at yourself and figure out what is it that I need to do to get my heart pure and clean before 2020. And I came up with three things, three things that help me. Number one, I think the first thing is you need to clean out your consumer closet. Okay, now, <laughs> um, I shop from ThreadUp, and it's just this online consignment store. I love it. But one of the things that they do is they always ask you, are you ready for a clean-out kit? And a clean-out kit means, do you have too many clothes in your closet? <laughs> so you go to your closet, you put the extra clothes in the, in the bag, and you send it back, and they'll sell it. Okay, a clean-out kit. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what we need. We need a clean-out kit for our consumer closet. And what happens is, as you live in American culture, it's what their view of church seeps in without us really even knowing it. And we pick up these concepts, like too many pieces of clothing, and we start to wear them. Even though we're like, wait, this doesn't really fit. This, this article of clothing doesn't really fit. It doesn't fit anymore. That's what I used to think, but I know that's not the truth about the church. But that doesn't really fit, but we keep it in our closet. We need to clean it out. Things like, words like, oh, I attend, I attend church here. We don't attend church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Wherever we are, we are the church. It's not a building that we go to, and it's not a place that we go to, and it's not a service that we go to. We can't say, what time is church over? <laughs> no. You can talk about where, when we gather. We can talk about how, what when the worship service is going to be, but it's not when church is over. It's something about retraining ourselves like, oh yes, I don't go to church, I am the church. Um, consumerism starts to take over. We can ask questions like, well, when does the worship start? And that means we've reduced worship to singing, basically is what it, it, it means. And I think this is really important to get out of our, our minds because worship is starts long before the music starts. Worship, as you are preparing for this collective thing, you're going on this pilgrimage every week because there's these different rhythms. This is our weekly rhythm of worship is that we join together once a week to honor God together in collective worship. As you're preparing for that, I want to, I would like to propose, and you're going to go crazy on this, so it's okay. You can build yourself up in intervals. I propose that your worship starts the night before because your worship starts with what time am I going to go to bed? And how am I going to be prepared to be together with the collective body of worshipers? There was a lot of planning that had to go in this. You have to have planning. So the worship starts then. Then it, it's, then it goes through your morning. And I will just say, parents, it is quite something to get kids out the door in a worshipful manner on the way to church. Sunday mornings can be amazingly trying, right? So I, I just want to encourage you to keep in there, keep trying. Um, but it is, there's this spiritual battle that happens, right? But it is our job to, to, to help us to get into a, a, a worshipful mindset as we're going. This is our spiritual act of worship. We, and I can't tell you the number of times when we are driving to church and I have to, we have to just basically reset 
because we it's gotten stinky it's yucky we have that you know that the stinky vibe or whatever it is you know the smell that's coming from us that's just like bickering and arguing and yucky and I just have to go okay guys okay we're on our way now we're out the door and you know something happened there that got us to be unkind or off or there's not a really great spirit in here but we're gonna fix it before we get there because we can't walk into church and go to our D group or go to our study or go to our rehearsal or go to do whatever it is that we're going to serve in with this stinky spirit because we're supposed to be bringing a fragrant offering to God we may my may my prayers like incense rise before you know our worship is incense there's a reason it uses that word because it smells good it's a it's a pleasing aroma to God and the way that we conduct ourselves with each other on the way to church and the way that we conduct ourselves once we get there and the way that we set up the chairs and the way that we rehearse our part and the way that we um, prepare for our class or go to our D group or study the Bible with someone or set up the coffee, those are all, that, that is worship. That is our spiritual act of worship. And so we need to think, when does the worship start? It starts with me getting up in the morning, hit my knees hit the ground, and I go, God, today is yours, not mine. I open my hands, whatever you want from me. I am not complaining, right? So that is how we, our mindset needs to be about the worship because we are the church. We don't go to church. So we reset our minds to be worshipful by the time we walk in for the, anything that we're doing while we're in there. Um, we train ourselves to get out of the feed me mentality. Like, I need someone to feed me. No. Um, we need better music. We need a better children's ministry. And where are these people? And they didn't show up on time. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, all of that. It's It can be this consumer mentality. Um, okay, I've told this story before, I'm sure. But I remember, this. it sticks out in my mind that this woman that I had invited to church a long, long time ago, she was in my preschool with my son. And she came to church with her daughter, and they loved it. It's always really fun. But then they didn't come back, and so I was I found her later at tr at school one day, and I was like, "Oh, hey, how are you doing? And um, have where have you been? You know, I haven't seen you." And then I invited her back to church. Would you like to come back to church? She goes, "Oh, you know what? We joined so and such such and such church because they have a pool." And we actually have a church down the street from our house that has a pool. <laughs> it really is crazy. But they have a pool, but that's her mindset. Is, of course, I'm going to go to the place where it has a pool because it's a consumer mindset. Or, you know, well, we don't have a VBS. That church has a VBS. I'm going to go to that church because I have a VBS. You know, it's this, what has the, can the church give me? What can the church do for me? Rather than, what am I giving? I am the church, and what am I giving? So we need to just constantly clean out those things that have gotten in our, to our mind accidentally. We know it's not true, but we start to look at it that way. Like we're there to receive, we're consumers, but we're not. So we need to take those clothes out of the closet and put them in the, in the, in the clean out kit and send it back to thread up. We need to get those things out of our closet. Clean out your consumer closet. Um, you know, and I think this is good to even think this way. You know, it can get complicated to meet with a lot of people on Sundays. Every, you know, so 50 people is complicated, 100 people is more complicated. 200, 400, 600, it gets more complicated, right? But the truth is, all you really need is your Bible and people to love. You're done. If we didn't have the music, if we didn't have the band, if we didn't have the screens, if we didn't have the, the microphones even, if we didn't have the children's ministry, if we didn't have whatever we have, we would be okay as long as we had the Bible and people to love. Okay, that's the first thing um, that you can do. Number two is erase your record of wrongs. Okay, now the truth is over this past year, people have hurt you. This is very difficult. It's very personal. And I am not making fun of it at all. 
I mean, I'm laughing because I totally understand. It is very difficult. My heart truly, truly does hurt for you. You know, because you have this thing that you're rubbing up against people in the kingdom and people sin against you. And for a while, you're like, yeah, it's like iron sharpens iron. Like the Bible says, yay. But then after a while, you're like, ah, it's not sharpening. No, that just hurts. Okay, get away. You're just hurting me. And that's going to happen throughout the year. You're going to get your feelings hurt. People are going to do things wrong. People are going to sin against you. It is going to happen. But the truth is, no way around it, the only way out is grace and forgiveness. It truly it truly is the only way. Um, I cannot diminish the pain. I know that it's there. But this is what Satan wants. When there's a fracture in the stones, there's a fracture in the kingdom. Picture a wall, and it's put together with stones. Now, the thing about the, the temple, um, I did a lesson last year, and I studied the temple. Um, I wish I could see it. I wish I could go there and see it. But... Uh, evidently, the the original temple was made with, um, I think it's called dry dry masonry. And that means that they didn't need any mortar in between the stones because they fit together so perfectly. It's sort of a wonder. They don't know how they did that. Now, if you think about the implications for what that is, if that is supposed to be a metaphor, if everything that we read in the Old Testament is supposed to be a metaphor for the spiritual life we have today, think about us living stones being fit so closely together. When there's a fracture in somebody, it hurts. It, it, it will fracture all of the stones around it. And you know what happens when something fractures? In the spiritual realm, Satan comes in and he fills in that crack. He wants to fill it in with his concrete. Man, he just comes in as fast as he can. Oh, this person hurt this person. Mm, I'm going to sow all this bitterness in there. I'm going to put all that. Oh, I, I think she said that. And I think he said, I'm going to put in assumptions. I'm going to put in conclusions. I'm going to put in all this stuff. I'm going to put in bitterness and resentment and lies and, and, and slander and gossip. But anything that he can put in there, he's going to fill those cracks in our minds. You know, when you don't know something, lack of communication... Satan will always fill in the gaps in the communication. So when we, when he sees that, he's going to push it in. He's going to put that in. And he wants it to get as hard as possible. So it's really hard to get out. And that concrete will start to harden really quickly. And that's why we have to settle matters quickly. That's what the Bible says. We have to deal with stuff as quickly as we can. We have to have the conversations that we need in order to break up that concrete so that you can say, oh, that's not what I meant. You know, I had this conversation just last week with somebody and, and she was just sharing with me, I, you know, I, did you mean this? When you said this, did you mean, and I was like, oh, 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 wait, wait, hang on a second. I can totally see how you thought that. That's not what I meant. Let me clear that up. And you know what? It totally, I mean, it was just gone. It cracked up that, that concrete, got rid of it. But you know, we did it pretty quickly. When you do things quickly, I had a brother call me um, about the next day after we'd had a conversation. And I want to tell you something that happened. This is really crazy. This brother called me. Uh, he texted me the night after the conversation to say, something that you said hit me a little wrong. Can we talk about it? I texted him right back and I was like, yes, my schedule is free here, 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 and here. And I didn't hear from him for like a couple of days. And I thought, that's weird. So then I get a text from him again. And he says, hey, waiting to hear from you. And I was like, what? And I am not kidding. That text did not go through. Now, it says it was sent, and but he did not receive it. How do you think that happened? That is Satan. And both of us just had to go, oh, my goodness, Satan is trying so hard. Okay, we're going to get him out of here. This is what I meant. And he was like, that makes sense. And we just got all of that out, all of those seeds of of doubt and resentment and bitterness, you get them out as quickly as possible. Get it before the concrete hardens, please. Have the conversations, even if you're afraid to have them. 
I got this from Isis. She goes, just text and say, I'm really afraid to have this conversation. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to talk to you. Just say that so that at least you get it out there. Like, I am afraid to have this conversation, and um, but I know we need to because the conversation is going to break up that concrete. And then what's going to get filled in once that crack is out, all that concrete is out, it gets sealed over with grace and forgiveness. We want grace and forgiveness to fill in the cracks of the kingdom. That is how we're going to make it. You're going to have to decide now that you're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You're going to pray for the peace of the kingdom until you can forgive and be full of grace. I, I was listening to this um, book. Um, it's called Soul Survivor. And he was talking about what Martin Luther King Jr. had to do in order to forgive the people that had been <laughs> threatening to kill him um, and, you know, just coming up against him. And you can think about how horrible he had it. He was like, he had to do a lot of fasting and a lot of praying. That's basically what he said. He said, I, I had to fast a lot in order to be able to forgive my enemies. And we know in the kingdom, they're not enemies. Satan is the enemy. It's just Satan getting in there, making everybody look like your enemy. So whatever you need to do in these next 40 days, do it. I know last year I was talking about resolving and I had a, I had a lot of conversations to try to resolve. Do it. Be ready to worship God fully in 2020, January 1. So erase your record of wrongs. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem until it comes. And then the last thing is plan for the pilgrimage. So you need to plan. What do I mean by that? Well, we need to make the kingdom of God the center of our life, okay? These people had to go on a pilgrimage to get to Jerusalem a couple times a year. That takes a lot of planning. They had to organize their time. They had to organize their stuff, pack the bags, do all that stuff, right? We do too. We have rhythms that, that God has asked us to live by. We have daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and yearly rhythms. Daily, we need to get up and we need to worship God first. That's first. We Our knees hit the ground. That's the first thing that happens. We put God first. We arrange the rest of our day so that we can have a good time with God. That means that we go to bed the night before. We arrange our life around a time of stillness and quiet with God. We plan for that pilgrimage, that daily pilgrimage. Then weekly, we have our rhythm of going to, going to the service that we all gather together when we collectively worship together. And we have to plan in time for that weekly. We have to plan for it. Um, it like I said, it can start the night before where you plan, but you plan your whole week. My whole week is planned around the Sabbath, and that's actually how God's people have done it for thousands of years. Their whole entire week was building up to the Sabbath or basking in the memory of the Sabbath because it's the day that we rest and we enjoy and we love God, right? So, um, but this is our, this has to be our mentality about worshiping together. It takes something, it takes planning to get together, but it's worth it. It's worth setting aside the time. It's worth it. So we plan for it. Um, and then these yearly rhythms, making sure that you have the time to give the 70 days, make sure that you have the time at, at the Passover and the resurrection, um, that we have time to celebrate these things, the Pentecost, these times, these festivals of God. It's a spiritual investment. It, it, it is a bit of a rabbit hole, but it's a cool one because every time you get into something new that God has created, it opens up a whole new richness to your life. It actually gives back to you. I mean, I'm just firmly, I believe that you give five minutes, you give God five minutes, he gives back an hour. <laughs> you give five, you give God five dollars, he gives you back a hundred. You can't outgive God. 
you give him the center. You make him the center. Um, you know, when the Israelites were brought up out of Egypt after they were slaves and he was teaching them how to live, he placed his tabernacle right in the middle of the camp. And all of the tribes of Israel, they set up their tents facing the tabernacle so that when they woke up in the morning, it was the first thing that they saw. He wanted them to make their life revolve around him because he is the giver of life, not because he's prideful, not because he needs it and he needs our approval and he needs our praise. He doesn't because he is the giver of life and everything that is good. Every good and perfect gift is coming from that tabernacle. Does that make sense? Every good and perfect gift, everything good. So the more you can make your life revolve around God, his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, revolve around him, the more life will come back into you. You may be in a bitter state right now. You may be in a place where you're like, I don't even want to go on Sundays. I don't even want to be there. God can breathe life into you. Choose one of these things or maybe all three things that you need to do. Do you need to clean out your consumer closet and readjust and remind yourself? No, 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 no. Mm -mm. I, I'm, I don't go to church to get. I give and then God gives back to me. I'm not a consumer. Do you need to... Um, erase your uh, record of wrongs? Do you need to get busy doing that and have conversations and break up that concrete and let grace abound? Do you need to do better planning so that you can plan for the pilgrimage? What do you need to do in order to be ready to worship fully in 2020? And I hope this helps you. Until next time.